increase capacity. The Arts and Humanities audio program that explores ever-expanding levels of beauty, truth, and goodness. I'm Jesse Turry, and I'm joined, as always, by my host, Dan Lewis. And the song you're listening to right now is our theme song called Wait For Me, and it's by the great group Draftsville. We're broadcasting out of WXPI 88.5 Williamsport Community Radio. What's going on, Dan? Not too much, but yeah, speaking of wait for me, that's what you're usually doing here at the studio because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm you get here not, late, never man. on time. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you don't text, you don't write, you don't call. <laughs> Dan and I are chilling. This is episode yeah. three, man. It's, three. We're, we're just going to keep cranking. By now, we're, we're old pros, you know? Yeah, man. Right. I'm digging it. <laughs> We're, we're in the studio and we have this is also a milestone yeah. aside from it being episode three we have our first guest man yeah it's exciting we're about to have our capacities are about to be increased oh yeah by none other than jeremy moeller how's everybody doing jeremy you live in williamsport you're one of our great friends I, sh- I sure am. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, man. We're glad you're here with you. Jesse and Dan, it's a yeah. pleasure and a, always a blessing for a new opportunity. Yeah, we're so glad you're here, man. <laughs> Tell us. So, we, Dan and I know you for like for a while. 15 years. How long has it maybe been? Maybe 20. Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. At least 2009 mm-hmm. and maybe two years before that. Yeah, you, so, you grew up yeah. like around here, right? In Williamsport? I grew up in Trout Run. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Which is which is close, which is nearby regional. Yeah, yeah, this is, yeah. These are all regional references. Our show. Yeah, along. Like, coming. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. You grew um, up in Trout Run, but you've been in the area. You lived in this area for a while. I grew up in Trout Run. Run. Yeah, and 1976, I was born. Nice. I'm the big 4-0. <laughs> almost halfway to 41. Cool. And so, like, what what kind of stuff are you? What what are you into? What do you do? What do you do for like paper though? Oh, how, how do you make how do you, how do you make that sweet sweet paper? I'm a, though I'm a social worker in the healthcare field. Yeah, right on, man. And I'm a servant of people and children, and yeah, sometimes man. animals at a local restaurant and oh, microbrewery. Yeah. Right on, Bullfrog Brewery. Cool, cool. It's an awesome place. It's like a family. Yeah, in Williamsport here. Yeah, it's a cool, cool yep. place. I yeah, love we, the job. Enjoy it. And but you're also an artist. More importantly, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I dabble and I just started dabbling in painting in 2013 yeah. um i've been writing since i've been 11 years yeah. old had my first <laughs> poem published in the uh school little uh, uh it was some like art project that we did as a school at Lyco valley in williamsport school district and everybody submitted something and yeah. everybody's everybody's that got chosen was put in this coalition cool. and you know it was my first Pseudo published <laughs> cool. yeah, man. piece of poetry, and then um, just four years ago, five years ago, I collated my own sixteen pieces of poetry mm-hmm. and <clears throat> self published and sold all my copies. It was pretty awesome. Gave a couple away, obviously, and I have one yeah. left that I keep myself, and I have the copy that my editor. Yeah, I think did, I have one, so it can help yeah. me. Yeah, I like it. we got one too. Yeah, yep. yeah. I made sure that you know I shared it with my friends mm-hmm. first. You know, yeah, at a, at a discounted price. I appreciate your poetry, man. <laughs> Thank um, you. And yeah, speaking of poetry, you're you're a songwriter. We we, we played music together. Yeah, yeah. plural. So that was something that we collaborated on before. Yeah. 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 I was uh, I wasn't in the band, but I was a groupie. Yeah, yeah. Dan yeah. was a great groupie. Yeah, I. I uh, we did a photo shoot here, actually, at the Pajama Factory. I remember once before they started putting all the, mm-hmm. lot, you know, all the um, businesses in. It was just wide open space. True. The, up on the second or third floor, I can't remember which one exactly, but it was, it was a fun, fun photo shoot, fun time. Let's tell people about the uh, the sh- a little bit about the show. Um, the the name of the show is Increased Capacity, and um, as I've said before, it, that title comes from it's a riff on a. A concept by a philosopher named Alfred North Whitehead. He was a 20th century philosopher, physicist, mathematician, and 
he his definition of of evolution is something that I that I really like. He talks about evolution being an increase in the capacity to appreciate what is intrinsically valuable. So I, th- I think that's beautiful. It's a very kind yeah. of aesthetic way uh, to understand evolution. And the format of the show is that we we break up the show into to three segments. Uh, the first segment is beauty. The second is truth, and the third is goodness. Now you may recognize these values as the three intrinsic values that have been recognized since antiquity, cultures across the globe. Um, you know, scientists, philosophers talk about these. Uh, Plato famously um, being being one of the first to uh, talk about beauty, truth, and goodness as sort of these values, these transcendental values that we sort of strive toward. Um, but thinkers uh, such as Manuel Kant talks about these, Freud, uh, Einstein, Gandhi, but uh, not just scientists and philosophers, uh, mystics and religious uh, teachers have talked about these. Uh, Rudolf Steiner, famously Western esoteric thinker. You know, Eastern Eastern thinkers like uh, Sri Aurobindo, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talk about, talk about these. The goal of the show, then, is to talk about these things and, and to help help ourselves sort of increase our capacities to appreciate greater and greater levels and sort of blends of these three primary values, right? We can talk about them as primary values or the way we talk about primary colors, right? We mix red, green, and blue to get any color. We can mix these three values as well. So that's what we're doing. We're we're, we're introducing ourselves and, and hopefully the listeners to new ideas, new thoughts, new people, and preparing the way, clearing the way for zesty, Experiences. I like zesty. Yeah, zesty or adventurous. <laughs> yeah, spirit-filled. Zest of us. Yeah. For the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, man. I have I have a very important announcement to yeah. make. Yeah. What's your announcement? Then? Um, it's more of a uh, of an informative kind of thing. Yeah. Um, back in the 1990s, there was a TV show on mm-hmm. um, called Twin Peaks. Oh man! Okay, yeah. um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Never the bizarre David Lynch uh, TV <laughs> miniseries, but uh, it was an experience. It was dark. Yeah. It was funny. It was bizarre. It mm-hmm. was zesty. Yeah. Um, it was sexy. It was mm-hmm. sinister. I mean, it yeah. was creepy. <laughs> totally. And I didn't watch all, it back all, then. all together, creating this beautiful piece of mm-hmm. artwork yeah. with mystery and mm-hmm. there's still no answer to it but the good news is and it only it's lasted back two out. seasons I heard it's yeah. back out and the Hulu. first four seasons on Showtime oh Showtime that's right yeah um, it's on nine o'clock you have know you, have you on Sunday nights well I haven't watched it yet but I'm excited because yeah, now everybody else is going to probably watch at the same time I do <laughs> because after we're done with this uh, little show, yeah. hopefully you take a chance to at least watch the first episode. They have the first four already. Mm-hmm. And then cool. Jan- or, uh, yeah, January, June 1st or 2nd, mm-hmm. I think, is when the next episode comes out, which is number five. Mm-hmm. I like how they did that. They gave you a nice chunk in the beginning of like four episodes and yeah. get you all, you know, Jazz for the uh-huh. for the next one, but I did watch a little part of it, and yeah. it's, it's pretty good. Same producer, so it's I David mean, Lynch. Every, he's David doing Lynch it again. and um, cool, Angelo Badalamenti does the soundtrack. He's an amazing composer. Uh, some of the music in Firewalk with Me was beautiful. Wow, that's one of the movies that came out. But so uh, well, the theme have... song is Laura Palmer's theme, oh, cool. and maybe sometime you can play it for your audience. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe maybe we'll talk about this show. Um, at the end of the season when we're reviewing Oh, it. totally. So, yeah. I, but anyway, thank you. Yeah, I no, that with you. It's, good, it's very good. And, I, and yeah. I love, you know, inspiring people. And it's very yeah. inspiring. If Excellent. you can handle thinking that yeah. you may be going crazy when you're watching the show, but yeah. yet, you know, you're <laughs> caught in between emotions like fear and, yeah. and anger and, uh-huh. you know, satire. I mean, it's just, it's everything. Yeah. Everything in one. Twin Peaks is one of those shows that you... I, 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 it seems to be sort of like polarizing. Like you either like absolutely love it or like despise it. I've heard can't, that. Can't yeah, I've it. heard that. I didn't watch it in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, but watched mm, watched season one on Netflix, and I I liked it. At first, it was like a little weird, right? I couldn't Bob. get into it right away because it was like soap opera ish, right? At, at first, yeah, but yeah. It get, but it gets really weird, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that, yeah. I was starting to like it. Natalie, my spouse Natalie, didn't wasn't thinking it. I thought she would have liked that. Yeah, knowing yeah. Natalie the way I do. But I, so I do, I do need to finish because it only went two seasons initially. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, but yeah, I heard that the new season is pretty cool, man. Um, 
it's on Showtime. I don't get Showtime. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Um, I, I get Showtime uh, occasionally yeah. when I visit my friend I have, who has Showtime. But, um, but once... If you have a subscription, you know, yeah. through your cable, you can get it on your iPad. And you can do, like, the free trial. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is what I did with HBO and watched, like, yeah. season one of Westworld, which is really good, too. Yeah. Love that show. There's well, so much TV. There's too much TV right now, by the way. There's too much TV. There's too much TV. Too, right, much, too, much, too much flood of information coming our way. Yeah, there's just too much. Yeah. Uh, that was a good plug, man. Um, but, uh, cool. Well, let's get into the format, you guys. Okay. I. Beauty. This is the beauty section, and we, just like it sounds, this will be the section that we talk about subjective taste, things that we are just liking. Dan. Okay. You're up. <laughs> I was going to say rock, paper, scissors, but yeah, I'll go for it. <laughs> um, well, I brought something that uh, actually the three of us appreciate, um, the band Me Without You. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... You know, I don't. You know, I don't know if we can really share their music on here, but I, I don't see anything wrong with sharing their lyrics. So this will sure. be more or less. I'm the fox, you're the crow, and Jesse's the cookie. So yeah, they're totally. Man. <laughs> so I just thought I would share some of the lyrics. I mean, as far as their music goes, I mean, we all love their music, but it, I think for a lot of people, it's definitely an acquired taste. Yeah, totally. Um, and they've they've changed a lot throughout the years, but yes, none, nonetheless, their lyrics are just. There's something. I mean, they're they're deep. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to share some here, and we can discuss me without you further if you guys want to add anything in. Um, but yeah, from the song "Gentlemen," uh, lyrics go: "We never met you and I. We were always inside. We were somewhere inside one another. And I'll live without you, love. But what good is one glove without the other?" Uh, from the song "Torches Together," why pluck one string? What good is just one note? Oh, one string sounds fine, I guess. We were once one notes. We were lonely wheat, quietly ground into grain. What light and momentary pain. So why the safe distance, this curious look? Why tear out single pages when you can throw away the book? Why pluck one string when you can strum the guitar? Aaron Weiss delivers this much better than I do. You're doing all right, man. Yeah. Don't, worry. Don't judge yourself too badly. Aaron wouldn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, it's right. good, man. I love that song. Okay. Um, January 1979. After years with a crown on my head, I've grown overfed, unconcerned, and comfortably numb. Kept busy indulging in the pleasures of the wealthy. Someone make me afraid of what I have become. At the first sign of possible trouble, I turned my heels and ran. Oh, I'll never learn. My life is a cup of sugar I borrowed before time began and forgot to return. Um, and then Leaf, this one's just kind of, it was always kind of funny to me because it makes sense, but it's, um, it says, like the carnival game with their bottleneck and the rubber ring, even if you win, even then you don't win. I love so that, that one. Funny. Yeah. Um, this one's funny. This one's pretty cool from Seven Sisters. He made the world a grassy road before our bare wandering feet and crushed the stones into the softest sand between our toes, but we're wondering where to sleep. Um, I'm actually wearing this shirt right now. It has the lyrics to the song Messes of Men. Yeah. Um, but it, it goes, uh, I do not exist. We faithfully insist while watching sink the heavy ship of everything we knew. If ever you come near, I'll hold up high a mirror. Lord, I could never show you anything as beautiful as you. Um, the dryness in the rain. A fish swims through the sea, while the sea is, in a certain sense, contained within the fish. Ah, oh, what am I to think of what the writing of a thousand lifetimes could not explain if all the forest trees were pens and all the oceans ink? I love that part. I love yeah, that line. That's, that's, that's one of my favorite. That's one of my, one favorite, of my favorite, yeah. favorite Me Without yeah. You songs. Yeah. yeah. And then in a sweater poorly knit, and if, if I'm not thinking, I'll, sometimes I accidentally say in a knitter poorly sweat. But, uh, <laughs> 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 poorly sweat. <laughs> I was, I'm always mixing up my words. Um, but the lyrics here go, you're a door without a key, a field without a fence. You've made a holy fool of me, and I've thanked you ever since. If she comes circling back, we'll end where we've begun. 
Like two pennies on the track, the train crushed into one. Or if I'm a crown without a king, if I'm a broken open seed, if I come without a thing, then I come with all I need. And then finally, um, bullet to binary part two. Uh, the lyrics go, while strawberry says to tangerine, my face is red, but our hats are green. Yours the orchard, mine the curling vine. There is one sun for us all. And then later in the song, uh, it says, we all well know we're going to reap what we sow, but grace, we all know, can take the place of all we owe. So why not let's forgive everyone, everywhere, everything, all the time. Nice. I think that's just words to live yeah. by there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. That was, that was good. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really cool. Um, out of Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, they came up. I remember like them coming up in the mid nineties, really. Mm-hmm. Like it was when I first sort of caught on to A them. to B life. Their first but they're one of those yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah. um, like Christian sort of hardcore. Yeah. The hardcore yeah. scene. Like, they yeah, were signed to tooth and nail records. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, uh, but Aaron, so it's the band, uh, sort of had a changing rotation. I know they switch members. Um, but Aaron Weiss, the, the, the two constants were Aaron and his brother. Um, what's his brother's name? I forget his brother's oh, name. The guitar it? player. Oh man. Matt. No. I forget. No, I can't remember, I can't. but they have an interesting, Sorry, they have an interesting story. Um, because they, I think that they're, uh, they were raised, um, I think they're like ethnically Jewish. They were, yeah. they were, their parents or the father, at least the father was uh, Jewish. Um, but they were they were raised in a community that was like pretty pretty like progressive, right? So they were they were raised in like raised to, to appreciate Islam as well as yeah. Judaism, and and eventually progressive Jew, <laughs> yeah. And, and eventually, I think they they converted to Christianity at some point. At least Aaron did, like like charismatic Christianity, yeah. I, believe, I believe, like evangelical type uh-huh. stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's how they got into the Christian scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super super. Uh, amazing you know uh, writer Aaron um like savantish I would say yeah like as far as like his Absolutely. lyrics Absolutely. and his writing his he's, poetry he's other than oh yeah that yeah. that line with uh the sea is contained within the fish mm-hmm. I love that because he it, yeah he's riffing he reads a lot he's, he's that's that's Aquinas that's Thomas Aquinas he's referring he's referencing um very panentheistic sort of uh interpretation there um, right of the divine yeah, that's a good pick, man. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate appreciate that band. Great, yeah. great pick. You guys, ought to check them out. Like I said, they're an acquired taste, but mm-hmm. if you like them, they're yeah. Musically, great. I think they're. I mean, I, I know. Well, some of their early stuff was like very much pretty influenced, hardcore, influenced by like Fugazi. So if anybody's okay. familiar with Fugazi, yeah. like, like sort of like post post punk, yeah, that yeah. sort of I, indie rock sound. I think the yeah. first yeah. song they heard was I heard was uh, Gentleman, and mm-hmm. that was pretty uh, rough. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, what would you say that they, you know, by the time they got to um, mm-hmm. It's All Crazy, It's All False, yeah, it's, it's All a Dream, It's All Right, something like that. They pr- they started out, yeah, very, like, post-punk, hard, post-hardcore yeah. sound, and uh, eventually got to, like, a hippie, sort of acoustic, yes. stripped-down, folk, folky, folky yeah. folk rock that sort of sound. That was a thematic album, though. That was, it was. Like, it was. Know, like, concept, yeah. like, a fa- like Aesop's Fable. It was. Like, totally yeah. the whole yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. You know? They kind of... Yeah. yeah, I liked it. kind of went back to where they were. It's like they, they took what they became, but also added yep. back what they were when they came out with Pale Horse, yep. I think. Um, cool. And I, I really like that album. Yep. Uh, so Pale Horse yeah. is good. Awesome. Um, yep. Jeremy, you want to go next, man? Uh, What's your beauty pick? My beauty is a little uh, subjective. It's, cool. it's not That's okay. physical. Um, it's humility. Awesome. I find humility beautiful because it's Great. really hard to achieve sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. without it, we can't wholeheartedly experience um, something's essence, a thing's essence without having humility because we'd be refusing to listen to what other people are describing it as or you know we'd be doubting ourselves all the time like um humility i've had a tough time in my life you know because growing up you know we were pretty poor you know and i didn't get to go to camp and i you know didn't have a lot of the indemnities that other children had Mm -hmm. at that age you know but i was blessed don't get me wrong i'm not regretting anything in my life but i've learned that humility is such a powerful thing and it has nothing to do with overpowering anybody else it has to do with underpowering yourself yeah so mm-hmm. that you can be open and listen you can be flexible yeah. and malleable for life 
And it can only really be actualized through putting your judgment on the back burner. And, you know, the first thing we do in the morning is judge our day on how we feel. Oh, I'm tired, you know. I'm Automatically that starts a negative chain of thoughts. But if you're humble, you're going to say this feeling is not a truth. Yeah. Truth is that I woke up this morning and I have a lot to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. And in there is the magic of humility. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's a great pick. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah and could we, ever, I, I could we ever actualize beauty without humility? That's the thing I'm trying to say. I, I guess I didn't end with oh, my that's theory. Good. But yeah, good point. What I'm saying is without humility, you mm-hmm. can't fully experience something that is beautiful, oh. uh, like a flower. I mean, if s- someone taught you that it was something to be trampled upon and, right. and whatever through your life, then that's how you would treat it. And there's no humility in that because you're not appreciating it. So, ah, oh, that's a great point. Yeah, that's, that's a good pick. Thank you. Yeah, yeah appreciate it. And, and we all know that there's no one more humble than than our current president. I mean, he said it himself. I'm probably the most humble person yeah, I know. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it went. There it goes. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, Save our ship. <laughs> yeah, that's the first tip whenever someone says they they are something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we always know. Um, whenever I'm working on know. my humility. That's what I can honestly yeah. say. Yeah, and that, I mean, it's, that, yeah. It's so crazy. Like, psychologically speaking, you can sort of pick up on that stuff when when people say they are something. And they, you can yeah. pretty much assume it's uh, you're projecting, right? Pretty much the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would that would always happen to me with people who are, who are like, oh man, I'm crazy. Don't mess with me, right? <laughs> like tough guys that that would say, oh, don't mess with me. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're they're projecting. They're they're really just Insecurity. scared scared yeah. little yeah. boys inside. You know? Yep. Oh my goodness, come on, freaking break. Okay, <laughs> here we go. My pick uh, this uh, episode is a poet. And one of my favorite poets, his name is Wallace Stevens. Um, he is, let me let me see here. He is a poet that, I don't know that, uh, Jeremy, do you, have you heard of him? I've heard the name, but yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, he, uh, I'm good at reading other people's poetry. He was, he was, <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so people considered him a, a modernist poet. He was born in 1879, died in 1955. Uh, but um, he was born in Pennsylvania, Reading, Reading, PA, and uh, went to Harvard. And uh, I, I really just I, I appreciate his, his poetry. He's very his poetry is very philosophical. Um, so I, I tend to lean toward like poets that are yeah very like substantial philosophical deal with concepts. Um, but also I, I really like um, sort of stream of consciousness poetry yeah. too, yeah. like that kind of stuff. Um, so, but one thing that I loved about. Wallace Stevens is his emphasis on imagination and he so and he gets very metaphysical in his in his poems and I just want to read a piece here this is from this is from Wikipedia to Wallace Stevens reality is the product of imagination as it shapes the world because it is constantly changing as we attempt to find imaginatively satisfying ways to perceive the world reality is an activity not a static object We approach reality with a piecemeal understanding, putting together parts of the world in an attempt to make it seem coherent. To make sense of the world is to construct a worldview through an active exercise of the imagination. This is no dry philosophical activity, but a passionate engagement in finding order and meaning. I I think that's beautiful. I love that. Just that sort of take on on reality, Mm -hmm. right? That imagination plays such an important role. I think that's, that's totally right on the money. I want to read a piece here, yeah. just uh, just a small snippet of a poem of Wallace Stevens's. And it's from the poem called The Idea of Order at Key West. The sea was not a mask, nor was she. The song and water were not medlied sound, even if what she sang was what she heard, since what she sang was uttered word by word. It may be that in all her phrases stirred the grinding water and the grasping wind, but it was she and not the sea we heard. For she was the maker, and the song she sang. The ever-hooded, tragic, gestured sea was merely a place by which she walked to sing. Whose spirit is this? we said, because we knew it was the spirit we sought and knew that we should ask this often as she sang. That's from the 
the uh, the poem called "The Idea of Order at Key West" by Wallace Stevens. So that's my beauty pick. Yeah. And check out Wallace Stevens. Um, Wallace again, Stevens, he uh, write him down. One thing that I that I that I do like about him, he was uh, just again like again that that emphasis on imagination and, and reality being sort of not uh, static, but sort of being in process, being in process, and being imagined and created as we go. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful. It I is love beautiful. That, that yeah. image. Um, Very beautiful. Cool. Um, let's move. Let's keep moving. We're going to go to the next uh, segment here, the truth segment. Truth. And we're ready for the truth section, and we're ready to rock and roll. Dan, you got something? Yeah, yeah. What you got? Um, what you got? Just last week, I was at my stepson's concert. He plays trumpet. Yeah, and then he also he's also in the chorus. <laughs> he's here. <laughs> nice. Um, Trumpet's a tough instrument. Yeah. The cheeks and stuff. And the lips. You have to purse them like this, like you're sucking air out of a yep. straw. <laughs> um, but anyway, sorry. Let me, let me get into Keep it. Keep going, man. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, he's... I think it was during the chorus section, they were singing uh, Blackbird by the Beatles. And nice. it, it was being played on the piano while the kids were singing... And um, just listening to it, like, I don't, I don't know, a certain note or a uh-huh. chord change, but I just get the chills. You guys ever get that when you're listening to music? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, and, yeah. you know, I just never really thought too much about it. It's something I've always, you know, feeling I enjoy getting when, when listening to music. And yep. so I decided to research this, and uh, this comes from mentalfloss.com. It's an article called Why Does Music Give You Chills? Cool. It's, it's by Lucas Riley. Um, so, so it reads, uh, when your playlist strikes all the right chords, your body can go on a psychological joyride. Your heart rate increases, your, your pupils dilate, your body temperature rises, blood rede- redirects to your legs, your cerebellum, mission control for body movement, becomes more active. Your brain flushes with dopamine and a ting- tingly chill, <laughs> chill whisks down your back. About 50% of people get chills when listening to music. Research shows that's because music stimulates an ancient reward pathway in the brain, encouraging dopamine to flood the, see if I'm saying this right, the striatum. Cool. A part of the forebrain activated by addiction, reward, and motivation. Music, it seems, may affect our brains the same way that sex, gambling, and potato chips do. Strangely, those dopamine levels can peak several seconds before the song's special moment. That's because your brain is a good listener. It's constantly predicting what's going to happen next. Evolutionarily speaking, it's a handy habit to have. Making good predictions is essential for survival. But music is tricky. It can be unpredictable, teasing our brains and keeping those dopamine triggers guessing. And that's where the chills may come in, because when you finally hear that long-awaited chord, the striatum sighs with dopamine-soaked satisfaction, and bam, (laughs) you get the chills. The greater the buildup, the greater the chill. Um, and then it goes in a section called gray areas. But there are competing theories. Neuroscientist Jack, with two A's, J-A-A-K, Jacques, how do you say that? Jacques? Jacques? Maybe? I don't know. Panksepp, for example, discovered that <coughs> sad music triggers chills more often than happy music. He argues that a melancholy tune activates an ancient chill-inducing mechanism a distress response our ancestors felt when separated from family. When a ballad makes us feel nostalgic or wistful, the evolutionary design kicks in the gear. What's interesting about Panksepp's theory, though, is that chills don't sadden most people. The experience is overwhelmingly positive. Recent research shows that sad music actually evokes positive emotions. Sadness experienced through art is more pleasant than sadness you experience from a bad day at the office. And this may hint at another theory, the amygdala, which processes your emotions, responds uniquely to music. A somber tune may activate a fear response in the amygdala, making your hair, your hair stand on end. When that happens, your brain quickly reviews whether there's any real danger. Interesting. When it realizes there's nothing to worry about, that fear response becomes positive. The fear subsides, but the chill remains. And then a uh, section here says anything goes. You can feel chills from any genre, whether it's Mozart, Madonna, tango, or techno. It's the structure, not the style, that counts. Goosebumps most often occur when something unexpected happens. 
a new instrument enters, the form shifts, the volume suddenly dims. It's hmm. all about the element of surprise. Well, maybe. The most powerful chills may occur when you know what's coming next. When our expectations are being met, the nucleus accumbens. Anyway, the, the uh, nucleus accumbens. <laughs> I don't know what that is. more active. <laughs> this ties back to that dopamine-inducing guessing game our brain likes to play. As a result, being familiar can enhance the thrill of the chill. Perhaps that's why 90% of musicians report feeling chills. Your personality matters, too. Scientists at UNC Greensboro found that people who are more open to new experiences are more likely to feel a quiver down their spine. Wow. Possibly because open individuals are more likely to play instruments. Meanwhile, researchers in Germany found that people who felt chills were less likely to be be thrill-seekers, but were more reward-driven. So, yeah, wow! That's all we got hmm. for that. Hmm. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, um, I like E. I've always noticed people comment when Happy Jeremy here listens to metal music. They're like, "How do you listen to that music? You're such a happy yeah. person." Yeah, yeah. Well, it actually makes me. It helps me to be happy. Yeah. yeah. It's like the sad music. Yeah. You listening yeah. to that gives you the, that feeling, you know, and it's really helping you be happy. I, I just it makes sense to me. I've always I've always liked polarizing music that yeah. was opposite yeah. of me. Interesting, yeah. You know, like sad emo music. Like mm-hmm. I'm not sad, you know, but yeah. I'm yeah. You know, I, I'm drawn to that. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of a way of, you know, this you know to bring me into homeostasis or something. Yeah. You know, to keep me balanced. Yep. I don't know yep. if that's what it does, but But yeah, I find uh, a lot of sad music actually makes me happy. A yeah. lot of melancholy music. And and Jeremy, you know, you're saying like metal hardcore music like calms me yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so it's strange yeah yeah um yeah because you know art good art like poetry we're just talking about poetry and music um particularly um but you know cinema can do this yeah uh they it really does it offers a language beyond a language you yeah. know um that you know in some ways uh you know we're able to experience something that um, that affects us in such a profound way um, that we can't quite express it. And, that, and that's what artists try to do. They try to uh, encapsulate that that experience that they have into anything, right, into into poetry. Like they use words, but they, they use words in a different way and words that don't quite mean what they would mean typically. And yeah. in music, you know, when you, when you add... You add words to, to, along with music; it does something different, and it creates a different experience. And that's what artists are trying to do: they're trying to capture something that they felt. This art is always pointing at something else. It's always going to fall short, but it's pointing at something. And sometimes we can connect with that something that that person was, that that person was trying to, you know, express. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for me, that's the chill. That's the chill right there. You yeah. know, um, when we're able to like feel that feel. You know what I mean? That probably, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposing that comes from absolute humility when you have that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. <laughs> okay, Jeremy. <clears throat> um, well, for my truism, I brought a poem by yeah. Jedediah Rumi. Oh, nice. I'm going to recite it for you the best way I can. Um, but it's called The Guest House, and that's my truism for this evening, that we're all guest houses. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house clean of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably, for he may be clearing you out for a new thought. The dark thought... The shame, the malice, greet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes your way, for each has been sent as a guide from beyond. It's pretty deep. Um, I like that. Yeah. It's pretty self-explanatory, but um, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that interacting with other people is unavoidable. Interacting with yourself is unavoidable. Because we have to learn to interact with ourselves before we can interact with other people. So this covers the whole thing, you know. No matter what you're feeling, mm-hmm. dark thought, shame, malice, anger, depression, joy, or whatever they're feeling. Yeah. It's a fact of life, you know. Those yeah. things are going to greet us every day. And the only thing that we can surmise from it is that it's a guide from beyond. Yeah. Because it's beyond what we can 
comprehend to know why this stuff has to be there, why we have to continually deal with pressures and stresses and, you know, anyway. So that's my true. I love it, man. (laughs) I love Rumi. Holy cow. That talk about, uh, you know, savant Mm -hmm. and someone who's like just so timeless. Yes. Yeah. He's, he was a true mystic himself. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, I guess we'll keep moving. Yeah. My truth segment uh, for this episode is um, I, I was struggling with what to do today. I wasn't sure, and I'm still like not sure what to do. But I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to talk about post truth since this is the truth segment. Um, and so we've heard a lot about post truth, right? You know, during this this last past election, this this uh, presidential election, and just within the media, it's been you know sort of this buzzword, right? Post truth. Um, and uh, I want to read a want to read a quote here. This is from this is from Jeff Saltzman, who who does a podcast I listen to. He's a he's an he's an integral thinker, and um, he does a podcast. And he he did a whole episode on post truth. But I really liked how he sort of fleshed out, sort of framed the problem here. <clears throat> and here's what he says. He says, "Let's take a look at this post truth meme. This word of the year. All right, it was the word of the year for Oxford." Um, and here, here's how Oxford defines it. Relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So that's the definition. Um, and I'm going I'm to keep reading here from Saltzman. Here's what he says. He says, now I would argue that the mode of communication and influence that they're describing here is developmentally speaking not so much post-truth as it is pre-truth. He says, I mean, thinking that comes straight out of the gut, thinking that is based on emotions or hardened prejudices, this is as old as the hills. Mm-hmm. This is the mode of thinking that virtually everybody had, and it's all they had for the vast majority of human history. If we say that human culture is mm, 70,000 years old, and that seems to be the latest guess, then what we do know is that about 69,500 of those years, all but 500, were spent in a mode of thinking that was superstitious, magical, mythic, based on great stories, emotional, full of prejudices of all sorts, often inspiring, still inspiring, but not yet arriving at the level of development of thinking that was brought on by modernity beginning 500 years ago and really kicking into gear about 300 years ago. And of course, that great realization of modernity is that the world is knowable in its objective manifestations. That is, we know that thunder is not the product of an angry god. Okay, so it's, Dan brought that, that scientific sort of explanation, right, yeah. about the chills. Um, and so that's what modernity brings us. It brings us this, you know, that, that sort of objective knowledge type of, type of deal, right? We're able to use our senses, empiricism. Yeah. So, and, and I, I, I resonate with what Saltzman was saying here, that post-truth, what we're, what we're, what it's more Oxford, pre-truth. What, oh yeah, what Oxford is, is, is defining here is post-truth is really But could we ever have, so much, we could, could I, I suggest we couldn't even have a real post-truth mm-hmm. or a truth period because the truth is always in, always in process. Yeah, because I agree. Because once yeah. we say that we know an answer, mm-hmm. there's always a question. Yeah. So there's no answers. There's only questions, really. So, I mean, so therefore you can't have a yeah. post-truth. It has to be a pre-truth or... A agnosticism or something. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, good point. So, well, let me let me keep going here. So, this, I'm reading from a blog post of mine, and I'll post this in the show notes. <clears throat> so, like I said earlier, Saltzman is a is an integral theorist, and for those who don't know what that is, it's it's a it's a, it's, a, it's a worldview. It's a way of sort of thinking about reality. Um, integral refers to the notion that we can we can incorporate the best sort of understandings uh, throughout the world. Into, into a system of, of sort of understanding, you know, the world. And um, it talks a lot about how in evolution what we see is sort of this, this trajectory, right? If we look at sort of biological evolution, we see a sort of trajectory. Um, it's not necessarily clean and neat and linear, but um, it is, uh, it's, it's a vertical trajectory. It's, it's not like a, like a straight line, but more like a sprawling bush, right? That mm-hmm. keeps sort of spreading out and getting more complex and diverse, mm-hmm. right? So we're not talking here, when we talk about evolution, we're not talking about something that is just a straight line mm-hmm. that's moving from point A to point B. What we're talking about with evolution, especially like biological evolution, we're talking about something that is spreading out yeah. and getting bigger and wider 
um, but, but still growing, growing, but in a, in a big, wide spread um, and uh, becoming very complex. Definitely. So, uh, so integral theorists will talk about you know biological evolution, but they also talk about um, sort of two other domains of evolution. They talk about a cosmological type of evolution, right? We can think about this as the first Big Bang, right? The Big Bang theory, right? That's this one sort of speculation, right, in mm-hmm. physics about how the universe began. And um, from that point, the universe was expanding and growing, you know, much more complex. The Earth comes into being, and, you know, the second Big Bang, we talk about biological life on Earth. Mm-hmm. And... You know, and then we, we, we can get into talk about biological evolution like we were just talking about. And then the third Big Bang is what, is what uh, well, for integral theorists, is what they would say is the, the emergence of consciousness in humans, right? So this, this, this awareness, this knowledge, right, being sort of self-aware, self-knowing. And, um, this creation of epistemology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's what we're talking about. And, right, so, and then... And so integral theorists, what, what, I, what I really kind of like about them is that it's novel in, in, mm-hmm. it's, as, as far as like philosophy goes, is that evolution doesn't stop with biology, with biological evolution. We're constantly evolving our consciousness. We're developmentally, we're changing and growing and growing in complexity, right? So, I mean, just look at children, right? Children are born and, and you know, developmental psychologists talk about this. They, they go through stages of development, yeah. conscious development, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop when we reach adulthood. We keep going. Um, unfortunately, for some people, it does stop. I think it's Piaget. Piaget's... Uh, yeah, Piaget. Yeah, Piaget's. integral theorists talk about him yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, and so he developed a sort of scale of development yeah. and it's you know integral theorists have it and they color code it and all kinds of things um yeah like the mm-hmm. oral stage you got the oh yeah you got mm-hmm. all those yeah yeah it's yep. interesting to see how young children just absorb knowledge like a sponge mm-hmm. they do at that at yeah. one point you know yeah and, and because of their sort of so biology does play a part you know and mm-hmm. as as far as like what we can do and uh sort of the uh the ways we can express ourselves and understand things. Um, and so children, they're limited to some degree because they, yeah. they do. I mean, I see it with my own kids, they, they, they see things very sim- simplistically, right? They, yeah. they see things in sort of black and white. But their black self-awareness white, yeah. isn't there yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, but it's, it's developing and growing. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, they're not super complex, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're, they, like things pretty cut and dry. Yeah. You know, we desire to, we good desire and bad. structure at that time. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Yep. Good but and then bad. we go to this chaotic and we mm-hmm. want this. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So w- one of the thinkers of, of integral, one of the key thinkers is uh, Ken Wilmer. And he wrote this huge thing on, uh, on this post-truth, uh, idea, right? This, this, this whole, this whole phenomenon talking about Trump. And one of the things that Trump or that Wilbur likes to, to beat up on is, is postmodernism, right? And so th- this was something in in the news, you know, that, that was jumping around with post truth, right? That, that that what we see in postmodern thinking, right? So I read the thing from Saltzman and modernity is a is a period in, in philosophy. They talk about modernity sort of in, in emerging during the Enlightenment and, you know, with, with, with the rise of science and scientific rationalism and postmodernism sort of being the antithesis to that, the reaction to modernity, right? So if we think of modernity as being sort of this uh, system that deals with objective empirical facts, things mm-hmm. that can be measured and um, deals with physical reality, postmodernism says, well, you know, that's not all there is to it and pushes back on that. And so modernity kind of separated itself from that mm-hmm. mythical thinking of religion yeah, and stuff. Pretty good. So, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then yep. after that, it was like a mesh of both to the postmodern yeah. kind of thing. You know, yeah. like the Donald Trump, where they're trying to add this right. religion yeah. to this power. Indeed. Yeah. Really. So Wilbur thinks that postmodernism is to blame for this <clears throat> post-truth phenomenon that we're seeing, and he he, he beats up on. He likes to beat up on all these uh, postmodern thinkers like. Um, like Derrida, Jacques Derrida, and uh, Foucault, and, and, and Leotard. Mm. Watch it. Leotard. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you better put on his Leotards. Cool. So um, these guys are always his go-to when he wants to, um, you know, make the case uh, that postmodern philosophy is all about convincing people how truth doesn't exist. And this this is a quote from Wilbur's article. 
He says all of them, he's talking about the postmodernists, would agree on one thing. Namely, there's no such thing as truth. Truth is just a cultural fabrication. And whatever anybody calls truth is simply whatever some culture at some place in time can convince people is true. Hmm. But that's it. Truth is a fashion. It's a fad. It's no more real than hem lengths. That's so a very insensitive way to re- reply to that. Yeah, so... <laughs> and, and that's what, that's what I'm, I'm thinking. It's, 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 a, it's sort of a very... Uh, Disingenuous sort of reading of postmodern thinkers, especially the ones that are who are that complex. Like yeah. Derrida is super complex, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm decently familiar with a lot of the major themes that run through the work of uh, you know Derrida and Foucault, um, as well as other postmodern thinkers that I talk about on the show a lot, um, such as uh, Deleuze and Whitehead, um, and uh, and I, I can say none of these thinkers are out to relativize in a negative way or destroy truth. So it's quite the contrary. They are out to contextually relationize it, mm-hmm. okay, or liberate it, uh, or we might say pluralize it, okay? I still haven't found another person who puts it better or more, more beautifully than Catherine Keller. She's one of my favorite writers of all time. She's a, she's a theologian, and she says this. I love her. Yep. Relation does not entail relativism, which dissolves difference. Relationality implies the practice of discernment, which means to distinguish, to attend to difference, and to exercise good judgment. Despite the binary either-ors that back us in the corners, there are always more than two differences. So we can say that truth is a process, right? Jeremy said that. That emerges through dialogue with plural possibilities. And this isn't, this isn't a bad or negative realization, I say. So I think, I think Saltzman's initial assessment is right, that, you know, that what people are calling post-truth is more likely a pre-modern truth, okay? Post-modern thinking is not post-truth. If anything, it's hyper-truth. It's the realization that meta-narratives really are meta-narratives. Uh, but it would be, be hypo-truth, actually. Yeah? Because it would, hyper would be mm-hmm. over-truth. Hypo would be under-truth. So if it's at the pre-truth area, then it would be hypo-truth. Well, no, what I'm saying is that I, I think it's hyper, meaning it's many truths. So truth isn't oh, gone. it should be hyper-truth. Yeah, it, mean, should, be it hyper. should be hyper. Yeah, I'm okay, saying it should gotcha. be hyper-truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not, not post-truth. We're not beyond yeah, truth. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in this era that Floral truth. truth is everywhere. Yeah. 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 So, and... and, and that, that's why that's one of the things that postmodernism, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote postmodernism. That's that's a term that's like, you know, debated. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's an umbrella term to, that you know yeah. covers a lot of yeah, different yeah. thinkers. But um, that's one of the things that you know the postmodern thinkers are known for uh, critiquing meta narratives, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea that the, the, the Christian sort of worldview that there's this one God that everyone must believe in, this sort of this reductionistic meta-narrative, right? That Christians go out and evangelize everyone and they have to believe in this one thing. That's simply not the case. What the, what the case is more likely to be is that there are meta-narratives with an S. There's lots of meta-narratives. One God with many And There's always been. Yeah. yeah, and there's always been. <laughs> I mean, so if you study church history, right, for instance, uh, we see that there were many different churches who believed many yeah. different things oh, in yeah. the early in the early days. And uh, some wanted to, to, to unify and some didn't. Right. Um, right. You know, when Christianity became, you know, unified right on, uh, under uh, you know, Constantine, uh, Constantinianism, that that sort of they all those sort of sects, Christian sects were you know, snuffed out. Mm. Yeah. You know, but um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So meta narratives with an S. Um, uh, the other big difference between pre-modern and uh, and 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 green postmodern types um, is that green postmodern types have moved past scientific, religious, uh, and religious revealed foundationalist forms of epistemological certainty. So we've talked about talked about epistemology. Um, that's what Saltzman was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you're when you're at that sort of foundational level of right. you know development, you're you have a very sort of mythical, magical, and it's not a bad thing, right? Because mm-hmm. we still need that. We still need that. We need to hang on to that. That's still part of us, right? It's we, our we spiritual, inti- spiritual intimacies. Yeah. We yeah. Need to, so, I mean, know. the way I think about development is it's more like a tree, right? We don't get, we don't get rid of that stuff that came before. We're still, right. deep down, deep down, like, we're still that little kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's still there. It doesn't go away, you know? So I think about it as a tree, right? With the tree rings, the rings mm-hmm. wrap around and get bigger. I, I, I think about it that way. Um, so it's not that we move past completely do away with uh, that magical, mythical sort of mm. thinking. It's just that we add to it, right? Mm. And so, so we do 
eventually have to get to that point where, okay, I need to understand this sort of empirical, you know, way of mode of exploring the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I do need to, to, to understand science and, and, yeah. and appreciate it, right, mm-hmm. as a way to explore and then understand things. But that doesn't mean we stop there, right? Because if we stop there, then we're, we're, we're paralyzed, right? Yeah. We're, uh, we, we become arrested. <clears throat> so postmodern epistemologies, uh, at least the ones I'm familiar with, they don't necessarily argue that all ways of knowing are equal, right? And that's, that's what a lot of people will want to say. And, and they definitely do not throw away scientific imperialism or rationalism. Rather, they generally would posit that we need to always consider multiple ways of knowing, including scientific empiricism and rationalism, to better approximate the truth and arrive at a deeper understanding of an issue. So further, at this more mature stage of development, one probably would not uh, uncritically accept truth revealed to her from authoritative sources like scientists, religious leaders, or the church or Fox News. They're not authorities <laughs> to them. For, for a lot of people, they are, though, yeah. right? So yeah, they, they, a lot they of should just, be authorities, but they're yeah. not to some people. Yeah. A lot of people would just watch Fox News, and that's their yeah. revealed yeah. truth. That's their truth. Yeah, just like, I mean, how, it's not much different than the church, right? Wow. Uh, how's that spelled again? F-A-U-X. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, but, but they, you know, but uh, we, we don't accept that. Instead, we begin to see that truth emerges through experiential relations, right? It's, it's a messy, chaotic, but oftentimes beautiful process. And I, just one more thing from Keller here. The truth process, she says, does not eliminate uncertainty or its chaos. It makes it visible in order to realize a livelier, more redemptive order. But such order... Like the truth it supports cannot be imposed. It must emerge. It resembles what scientists now refer to as self-organizing complexity, the online order of an open system. The chaos of dissolution can become the very stuff of creation, exposing the dissolute ethics legitimated by the abuse of theological absolutes. We break out of the mirror game. We approach not a relativism or anything goes, but a relationism of everything flows. So post-truth, that's my pick. And it was a long one. I uh, apologize, but um, I think it was a good one, right? Yeah. yeah what do you guys think? Yeah. Goodness. Dan, you're up. All right. I'm up again. All right. Well, I guess this kind of started... Uh, I was trying to find some, some good music um, for my daughter to listen to. Cool. Um, I mean, yeah, I have a lot of music in my collection, <clears throat> but I don't know. It's probably boring to her. So, um, oh, Benny listens to all my yeah, stuff. Man. Yeah, and you're you're doing it right. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, I, I found some albums on online. I downloaded a couple albums that were like cool. You know, the traditional kids' songs, mm-hmm. "Wheels on the Bus," and uh, you know, a few others. It's a bitsy spider. You know, performed by you know a lot of. Uh, artists today you know, there's Menomina by Cake and uh, <laughs> you know from the Muppets um, and you know just I think OAR did Itsy Bitsy Spider something like that a nice <laughs> version nice. of that um, but I don't, I don't know I get, get kind of bored of that mm-hmm. after a while and nah, yeah. I think she did too and just I went on iTunes one day looking for, for stuff and rather than looking into music I was looking at uh, podcasts and I stumbled across one called Spare the Rock, Spoil the Child. <laughs> and it's actually a uh, radio show broadcast out of, um, from Austin, Texas. It's uh, 98.9 KUTX. Cool. I, I hope I can say that on a, sure. from another radio station. But it's all good. But it's out in Texas. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, they play a lot of cool indie music uh, that's very kit oriented. And so, you know, Chloe and I have been really enjoying this. Awesome. We've been listening to it, to it together, um, and I have just like a small sampling of some of the songs. Uh, we're going to listen to a few of them here. I'll, I'll, the first one is Starfish and Coffee by Renee and Friends, and it's featuring Maya Rudolph from SNL. Uh, there's, and then next is Imaginary Friend by Agent 23 Skidoo. After that is Jumpin' Beans by Frank Black, uh, who's known for being in the, the band The Pixies. Uh, and then Monster Truck by the Sugar Free All-Stars. And then finally, the last sampling is a song called Come Over to My Dollhouse by Lunch Money, also featuring Agent 23 Skidoo. Um, so we're going to take a quick listen to that. Her favorite number was 20, and every single day, 
If you ask her what you had for breakfast, this is what she'd say. Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam. Butterscotch clouds, a tangerine, a side order of ham. If you set your mind free, baby, maybe you'd understand. Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam. Named Pickles. His favorite food is mustard popsicles. He's got green hair and orange skin, and nobody has fun more than him. He's the sort of friend nobody can see. Nobody but me. You're like, what do you mean? He's imaginary, invisible, but he's never scary. Nah, he's really cool. He's silly too. He's an acrobat. He does backflips while we play hacky sack. Nobody fasts us when we run in races, but he cracks me up, making funny faces. And though they may not understand. Put the beans in my shirt pocket So close to my heart that is pumping I'd even take them in a rocket Put your hands on the wheel Rev the motor one more time And here we go Whoa, we're picking up speed Well, we're halfway to the ramp We're on the ramp Now we're in the air Whoa We just made it over 20 buses We just made it over 30 buses are we going to make it over all 40 of these buses? Are we going to make it? Nope. Crash, smash, smash, crash. Hold on, everybody. Come over to my dollhouse. What are you afraid of? You can bring Spider-Man. What about Boba Fett? Sure, there's always room in the current. Come over to my dollhouse. Fighting crime is mighty fine. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's different. Yeah, it reminds me of, yeah, we were just talking about Yo Gabba Gabba. And I remember like, yeah, because we, we, we skipped all of the kids' stuff songs. Like we yeah. didn't we didn't do any of that with Benny. Late. Not doing any of that with yeah, with uh, Sonya. Um, but Yo Gabba Gabba was one that we would check out. Yeah, because it's pretty cool. And we were like band of horses doing some songs and stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, they, they yeah. would have cool like indie rock bands on. Yeah, they had to change the name of some of the bands because they were a little inappropriate for the kids. But like in, red fa- red in red fact, red. on... Uh, on um, uh, Spare the Rock, Spoiler Child, they played yeah. a song. It was a cover of Underdog. You remember the old oh, cartoon cool. Underdog? Yeah. And it was done by uh, the Butthole Surfers. Nice. is the name of the band. <laughs> and after the song played, and he's, he said, and that was uh, Underdog. It was by, uh, we'll just call them the Surfers. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of funny. Surfers. Kinda had to, oh, that's funny, know. man. I mean, it's funny yeah. how we, we try to protect kids as long as we, long as we can. Isn't yeah. that funny? We yeah. Try to <laughs> yeah, but then there's also uh, parents like my neighbors who yeah, don't. are completely opposite. They're the ones saying yeah. the F word to their kids. And he's like yeah, three years old, um, like yeah. a toddler. Yeah. Like, what the are you doing? Get the out of that Aww. in the side. Yeah. I mean, it's just I so sad, man. Yeah, we have some I, neighbors yeah. like yeah, and they keep coming so, back. They move away, Aww. and then they come back. Aww. But yeah, that was um, a good pick, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Spare the Rock, Spoiler yeah. Child. It's a great thing. Look it up on iTunes under podcasts. Um, they did a Bowie tribute when he passed away, mm-hmm. and, and I think they did one for Prince too. I don't know if I've heard that cool. one yet, but uh, great. Yeah, it's really great. Check it out with the kids and, and listen to it on on long trips or on your you know daily commute. Thanks, man. Very good. Very good. Jeremy's up. <clears throat> what you got, um, man? Mine's real short. Because I don't think too much is good other than plants, trees, flowers, and bees. <laughs> they do no wrong. They please us, and we need them. And they couldn't live without us, and we couldn't live without them. And we're the only ones that treat them mm-hmm. horribly, and we're not being stewards of our planet. Our president seems to think that we don't have an issue going on with how our planet's reacting to our um, our corruption of it no. No. <laughs> uh, without sounding like a no. extreme liberal. Um, That's okay, dude. Sound yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was called a liberal, that'd be a, uh, that'd be a compliment, but I'm just a progressive who cares about things a little too much. Uh, but yeah, so we need what I think is the only good thing mm-hmm. in this world, truly inherently good, are plants, trees, flowers, and bees. <laughs> <laughs> they do no wrong. They please us, and we need them.
And they couldn't live without us, and we couldn't live without them. And we're the only ones that treat them mm-hmm. horribly, and we're not being stewards of our planet. Our president seems to think that we don't have an issue going on with how our planet's reacting to our um, our corruption of it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, without sounding like a yeah. extreme liberal. Um, That's okay. Sound yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was called a liberal, that'd be a... Uh, That'd be a compliment, but I'm just a progressive who cares about things a little too much. Uh, But, yeah, so we need what I think is the only good thing Mm -hmm. in this world, truly inherently good, are plants, trees, flowers, and bees. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. I like it. And uh, my final statement on, you know, all three of these things to kind of tie them all together Mm -hmm. uh, myself is we can never behold anything if we never mind it. Oh, we can I never like behold it. anything if we never mind it. Oh, I like that. That's crazy, man. Nice. Okay, I'm I'm gonna do my uh, beauty pick here. Um, wait a minute, not beauty good. pick. Good goodness pick. I'm all confused tonight. But good gravy. Good gravy, man. Okay, so je- sip, I'm following on Jeremy's uh, uh, footprints here, and my pick is an is, is an article. It's a Guardian article from uh, where's the date here? From May fifteenth. Okay, and here's the title of the article. And I'll, I'll link to this in the blog post. Nature is your lover, not your mother. <sighs> Meet eco-sexual pioneer Annie Sprinkle. So, Annie Sprinkle. Is that Aaron's brother from yeah, uh, poor old Lou? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So, she is a porn star turned uh, sex educator. And she's at the vanguard of a new queer movement combining sex and ecology. And this is all about uh, being being at one with the earth. And I think this is fantastic. I read this article and I absolutely loved it. So let me just read a little bit of this article here. Look at that! Annie Sprinkle says, marveling at the blossom of a cherry tree. Flowers are tree genitals. Basically, you're looking at porn. I'm at a San Francisco. Uh, I'm in San Francisco, and at the uh, pioneering X-rated feminist is talking, taking me on a walk, an eco-sexy nature walk. We're in uh, Bernal Park, a place uh, the porn star turned controversial performance artist once deemed the clitoris of America, and now she has come oh up God. with a bold new idea: <laughs> eco-sexuality. The main premise is that you see nature as your lover, not your mother. You might give your mother a hard time, and she'll put up with it. But, but with a lover, it's a question of give and take. And ecosexuals believe that's just what the planet needs right now. It neatly sums up how ideas of eroticism are expanding within the sexual avant-garde. And rather than focusing on conflict and anger, it prides itself on joy and positivity. So what, you're, what she's basically saying is that you give your mother a hard time, and you give nature a hard on. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, dude. Love it. Yep. And we're hard on nature, <laughs> yeah. which is hard ridiculous. It's kind yeah. of an ironic thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I love this idea, man. I think, you know, so <clears throat> it's a sexy spiritually thought. speaking. I, yeah. I think of myself as a panentheist. So basically to sum up that is it, it, we're in God. God is in us. But yet God is also other. Um, and so I think of nature as ensouled, as very spiritual mm-hmm. and, and alive and, and beautiful. And so. In, you know, in theology, we talk about all these sorts of, um, you know, dimensions of God, that there are aspects of, of God. And one of them is that God is a lover, right? So that, that's, so in, in the Christian scriptures, right, and, and the Hebrew scriptures, uh, there are only sort of two positive sort of descriptions or affirmations of what slash who God is. One of them is God is spirit, and the other one is God is love, right? And when we talk about love... You know, this is one of them. Erotic love is one of the loves that we talk eros. about. Eros. Yeah, eros. Absolutely. So let's see. What? Let me just read a little bit here. Um, most uh, cultures around the world have traditionally seen the earth as female, but uh, Stevens insists that nature can be trans. Um, I personally first heard nature referred to as they at a queer spirit festival in Somerset last summer. As a student of romance languages, I realized I had become uh, a stick in the mud for the sun being masculine and the moon and the earth being feminine. Stevens has a different take. In a misogynistic society, when people imagine the earth as she, they think she's less important than he. So 
The mostly all-male polluting corporate heads think they can treat the earth badly. This is basic eco-feminist thinking. In any case, Sprinkle suggests we shouldn't sweat the finer details. Eco-sexuality is a burgeoning queer identity for some and a way to get more primal in your sex life for others. But you don't have to be a gender studies student to join the club. Uh, most people get central pleasure from the smell of a flower. We just want people to love the earth more, she says. Yeah. So that's my good pick. I'm going to link to this article. Yeah. Read it. It's good. It was written by Stephanie Theobald uh, in The Guardian. So Awesome, Jesse. That yeah. was great. That was a, that was a nice little uh, piggybacking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally, man. <laughs> I'm all about piggybacking. <laughs> but uh, so I think that's... Um, that's uh, that's it. What what else do we got to say? Any any sort of housekeeping plugs? Do we want to plug anything, Jeremy? Do you want to plug anything? Can I'm, people I'm, see I'll, your, I'll plug see that I'm a little tired right now. You know, I got yeah, fifty nine hours a week working. Oh, you know, you normally, but I love I love uh, being able to sit down and chat with you fellas. Yeah. So oh, totally. We can do it. Yeah, we'll do it again. Do it again. Yeah, um, Dan is on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. It's at Jesse Turry. J e s s e t u r r i. Uh, I blog a lot. I like to, you know, Jesse's a good blogger. Write my write my write my thoughts down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you can find me at jesseturry.com, J E S S E T U R R I. I'm also on Instagram. Uh, same thing. And uh, Jeremy, you anything? can find me all over the internet. Cool. Just type in my name, J E R A M Y, Jeremy Moeller, H L E R. I am the only Jeremy Moeller in the United States. There's no a way, Jeremy dude. T. Moeller, but that's a T. That's cool, man. And uh, his name is spelled exactly J E R A M Y, like mine. It's, I was, spelled, it's spelled Jeremy? Yep, it's spelled Jeremy. But I'm on <laughs> nice. Facebook.com forward slash Jeremy Moeller. Excellent. Um, you won't find anybody else. I'm on, I've monopolized my name on cool. every platform out yeah. there so if you want to find me on instagram if you want cool. to find me on that as long as my privacy settings i can't remember i'm always changing them because i'm an educator so i gotta yeah. keep yeah, yeah. my uh social profiles cool. on the down low gotcha man awesome all right and and uh so uh i think that's all we got and we'll we'll catch back up with you all next time next time on increased capacity <laughs>